We're in Hebrews, and I, I want to do something to give us a little bit of a picture of what is being explained, particularly in the first 10 verses here, but then elaborated on uh, further down uh, in this passage, is the tabernacle. The places where uh, this opportunity was given, the system set up so that in the Old Testament, in the first covenant that is referred to here, people had access to God. Imagine nothing is to scale or shape, to be clear, but we're going to get a little bit of a picture of the tabernacle, right? Uh, what he's describing here. Uh, imagine that this is the tent of meeting, which is not specifically referenced here, but this passage is a reference to Leviticus 16 and the Day of Atonement. And there's a tent of meeting where the people would all gather. But you're all on the Day of Atonement. You're outside. You're out, you know, where we're going to have coffee and donuts later. You're in the hall, and you're just waiting to come in, but you're, you're not able to come in yet. And uh, it is on that day when the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies. So imagine this is the tent of meeting where you are. And then, first of all, there's a curtain all along where this, uh, where this rail is. The curtain uh, separates the holy place and the priests regularly enter into the holy place. You can't see up here, maybe if you're sitting down, but there's also a line across here where the carpet meets the wood. There's another curtain here, all right? So we're all using our imagination. There's a curtain here. You can't see me now. And there's another curtain here I can't see into there. In this space, the holy place is where the priests enter with regularity every day. And they're making different sacrifices and they're, they're replacing the bread of presents and they're keeping oil in the lampstand and making sure that the incense is burning. Uh, and that happens quite regularly. But then on the Day of Atonement, described in detail in Leviticus 16, the high priest enters into another curtain the Holy of Holies. And this is where God's presence is most represented. The Ark of the Covenant is here, where the drums are. Just imagine the Ark of the Covenant. This is the thing that, that more than anything else represents the presence of Yahweh, the, the God who says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And, and he goes in and he goes in with a lot of blood from the bulls and goats that he has sacrificed. And he sprinkles it. We see in verses 15 to 22, he's sprinkling the blood everywhere. I mean, the place is covered with blood. It's part of the purification ritual. We'll talk about more of that in a second. But we can be thankful that, that one of the differences in the new covenant is that there's not blood everywhere. And we have to do some setup and tear down and clean up. But imagine if we were having to clean up all of that blood on a regular basis. We, we don't have to do that, right? And, and we, are, we are thankful that that is the case. Um, but that was what was going on, and it was all a part of this system that, that Yahweh had put in place to deal with the fact that there was a barrier between him as a holy, perfect God and the people who were sinful or defiled or contaminated, all these words that we're super comfortable with that are described here, defilement is used, sin is used regularly in Scripture, we have the confession of sin each week in our, our service. And it is a barrier between us and God. And some of that is represented in the barriers that existed in the tabernacle, the curtain that would separate the presence of God with the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, and even the holy place separated. And even the tent of meeting for a while separated. They were, you, you're all back there, right? You're all waiting in the hall and out there waiting for the high priest to come out and see that it was done. See that the sacrifice was offered and accepted, and then you could come into the tent of meeting and worship the Lord. We're, we're going to see in 
this pastor that is all about access to the presence of God. And he is continually about that. We talked about this last week, the new covenant and this picture that God wants relationship. And he has said from early in Genesis to the end of Revelation that I will be your God and you will be my people, that he is about covenant, relationship with his people. That's what he wants. He wants us to have access to him. And so even this system that seems so crazy to us to imagine all the blood, to imagine the curtains and the high priests and their roles, it was a system that God gave so that the people could have access to him. And we find in this passage the the barriers to that access, and then we find this new covenant offering a better access. So those are our two points, barriers to access or relationship, and better access or relationship offered in the new covenant. Let, Let me pray. Lord, we pray that you would meet us here, that, that we would not only recognize in our minds that we have access to you, but that we would experience relationship with you in your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is this barrier to access. Even the system that was set up by Yahweh, by the Lord, uh, in Leviticus, the Levitical priesthood and all the sacrifices that need to be made, it, it was really, on, on some level, a system of barriers, the, the, the levels of access to the Lord. But it was so that the people could have relationship with him. But, and it came because uh, these curtains existed. We see them in verse 3 and other places. Uh, that it, it came because of the thing that really causes the barrier, that sin, that contamination, that defilement. It, it, the, the scripture continually, and certainly here, makes a big deal the problem that we have of sin. It could be de- described as that defilement here. And again, I think some of these words, they're uncomfortable for us to think about uh, and uh, to describe as something that might be an issue for us. I think this is true. I mean, you sit with that reality, but spoiler alert, there's incredibly great hope that the defilement will be covered, that the contamination will be done away with, that the access will be granted, that there is forgiveness of the sin. Uh, we, we know that every week as we come with the confession of sin, that there is forgiveness that has come and will be continue to come. And so we can come with great confidence and hope, not with just shame and, uh, and, and being covered in our own sin, but with, with great hope we come. But that doesn't mean that the sin is not a problem, that, that we are not to diminish it, that we're to recognize the reality of it. Uh, our tendency, though, is to diminish it, but that's not what's happening here. Even this description in um, in verse 7 of the fact that uh, the high priest goes into the second area once a year, not without taking blood, and he does this for the uninten- to, to offer sacrifice for the unintentional sins of the people. Even this idea that the Bible recognizes intentional and unintentional sins. But we are so quick to dismiss or diminish our sin, our brokenness, or the ways in which we have rebelled against God, or failed to live up to the standards that he's given us, which is true of all of us, every single one of us, that, that we diminish the ways in which we do that. We don't like to think about it. So if somebody sins or they do something unintentionally, oh, well, that's, that's not a big deal. They, did, they didn't mean to do it. Uh, and, and yet what the scripture tells us is that sin is so deep and it has such a significant impact on us that our, even our unintentional sins matter. I mean, we, we would like to 
dismiss and diminish even our intentional sins, right? I'm not as bad as that person. We, we do that comparison thing. Uh, we, we find this trend, uh, I don't know if you have noticed the trend uh, of stories that go back in time and look at the villains in popular stories and, and kind of oftentimes excuse the way that they've acted uh, in, uh, in the past when they were known just as villains. I mean, some of it, we understand that life is not always black and white, that we as human beings are all uh, full of brokenness. And so I'm not saying it's, it's that simple, but you know, there's, the, you know, there's the Cruella, there's Maleficent, there's Wicked as a musical that uh, looks at the Wicked Witch and, hey, let's, let's understand. And some of these are great stories, by the way. I'm, I'm not even diminishing that, but it's, it's a, oh, you know, what they did was not that bad. The one that really uh, actually did irk me a little bit, I don't know if anybody's seen the latest Spider-Man movie. A few people have. Uh, and I really loved the movie. It was a great movie. I particularly liked uh, all of the Spider-Men coming back. Um, sorry if you haven't seen it. Uh, and you either don't know what I'm talking about or I spoiled something for you. Uh, there's parts that I like, but there is this moment where Peter Parker, he's Spider-Man, by the way. Might have, not, that also might be a spoiler. But... Uh, <laughs> Peter Parker, he brings back these villains from old movies, right? Dr. Ock and uh, the Green Goblin. And, and, and they were terrible in these past movies, right? You wanted them to be destroyed because they were killing and hurting people. They were evil, right? And in the new movie, uh, he brings them back. He kind of keeps them under control. And he just makes these little shifts. I mean, even from like a, a, like a you flip a switch in the brain of one of them, and now everything's okay, right? We're just going to redeem every one of them. They're really not that bad. It, and it flows with our tendency to, to diminish the reality of sin and brokenness. Now, I, I, I hesitated whether or not to use I mean, look, we're all, again, we're all broken. There are places for forgiveness and redemption and all of those things. But the scripture, mainly not for other people, you know, the villains that you're thinking about, but for us. For each and every one of us, it says that our rebellion against God, that our sin, that our defilement is a significant issue and that it needs to be dealt with. And so we're invited to do that, to enter into the systems the Lord has, has given us. And he, he knew this. He knew this was the case. The Lord knew this. Yahweh knew this. Our God knew this. And so he put in place these Systems of sacrifice. He knew that we had this contamination. I, I recently watched a good bit of a documentary called Meltdown, Three Mile Island. And it's a documentary about the, the meltdown at the nuclear power plant in Pennsylvania in 1979. And there's just one scene in particular that I actually don't highly recommend the documentary. It's a little bit overdramatic. Um, but this was rightfully dramatic. One of the guys has gone into a contaminated area in order to stop further contamination. And he comes out, he knows that he is contaminated with radiation. And he takes an hours long shower, which on some level he knows is not actually gonna fix the problem. And he goes home and he doesn't feel like he can even touch his children. I mean, it's a, it is rightfully dramatic and sad that he recognizes that his contamination can be a problem for others, that it affects his relationship with other people. And, and, and sin is, in some sense, this thing that we don't see. And uh, it is a problem even if we don't see it. Even if we don't recognize it, it, it is there. And contamination is not a bad way 
to think about it. And so into that, the Lord comes and he gives us this thing that we now find weird, the system of sacrifices and blood. And, uh, but it is ultimately so that the people can have access to, to the Lord, so that they can be purified is a word that is used here in order to address the defilement. It, it is a, a system given that requires the life of these animals. And that, that should be actually a, a pretty heavy thing. It's a gift from God that he's given us not only the system, but these animals in order that we would be able to offer sacrifice, in order that, that their blood would be poured out so that the people would be clean. And to be clear, I think what we find here is not a diminishing of the value of animals in creation. Yes, the Lord has given us uh, creation to have dominion over, but we're to care for it. And so th- this doesn't mean that we don't care about creation. This is actually saying this is something really valuable. And the Lord gives it as a gift in order that his people might have relationship with him. It actually heightens the value of his creation. But it is necessary. We find then this description of all of this blood everywhere, right? Verses 15 to 22, it's sprinkled over everything for purification. We see that sacrifices have to be made. And this is This is this picture that blood, which not only represents life, it actually is required for life, and that's why it represents life. We're talking life and death issues here. Our sin is such a big deal that it requires sacrifice. It requires life being given. And so it's this reminder of thinking about blood sprinkled everywhere. It's this reminder that we don't get this reminder of, of the significance of what's happening here, that our sin is deep and it has deep consequences. And it bars our access to the Father except through these systems that the Lord gives us. And even as he gives the system, there's a recognition that it is not quite enough. That it, 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 it falls short of what is necessary to really have access uh, to Yahweh, to the Lord. And that is actually just a copy of, we see in verses 24 and 25. It's a a pointing to the things that were to come. And and this is where we find the hope of the new covenant. This one, the old one, only deals with the externals. Verses 9 and 10. This is such a long passage that Kim read. Thank you for reading a, a long passage. I actually tried to make it shorter and I cut out some of the verses in 9 and 10 or two of those. Uh, it talks about the fact that the sacrifices at this point only deal with the externals. If you want, we have Bibles. They're all the same Bible now, so I can tell you, page 1005. And those Bibles, I meant to say this at the beginning. I need to get back in this habit as we put these out now. They're there for you. If you need a Bible, take one with you. Uh, but you can see in verses 9 and 10 that this, this old system only deals with us externally. It doesn't deal with the depth of who we are, our conscience in verse 9. I'll read, I'll read 9. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. This is the depth of who we are. It's not just dealing with us externally, which does matter, dealing with us on the surface. This is dealing with the depth of who we are and even the way that we think about our, ourselves. And, and we know this feeling, right? Whether we're a follower, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you know this feeling of, of shame, of not measuring up, of missing the mark. And it might be in small ways and it might be in big ways. I think about 
when I was very young, I, I out of curiosity and, and really dumb thing to do, I was curious what a stapler would do and I hurt one of my friends. It was not a wise thing and I knew very quickly this was wrong and I felt the shame and I went and I hid under, I remember going into the living room and there was a, a side table that had this, uh, this tablecloth that went down to the floor and I got under it and I hid under there knowing that I was going to be found at some point, but trying to avoid that. I felt that I, what I did was wrong. It was very clear. It was very clear before I did it as well. <laughs> These are things we do, right? Uh, he's fine. He ended up being fine. Um, but I, I felt that shame. And that, that's uh, a, a little bit of a silly example, but there are all kinds of ways in which uh, we experience that, that our conscience, again, whatever our standard is, whether we're followers of Jesus or not, whether it's a standard that, that the Lord has given us or standards that we set for ourselves or others have set for us, we don't live up to those standards. And we feel in our conscience the, the brokenness and the lacking there. And this old system doesn't deal with that. I think there is hope that the new system does. Even as we uh, hide, we find this, this hope that is offered in Jesus. Now, this old system matters, and it is pointing to the one to come. It is pointing to Jesus and what Yahweh, what the Lord has offered uh, for us now, something much better, better access. But the old system is pointing to the new. And so it's a helpful reminder that as we come across all of Scripture, we see it as pointing to Jesus. We've talked about this over the last number of weeks. Luke 24, Acts 8, Acts 18, all of it, all of the Old Testament from Genesis all the way to the end of the New Testament, Revelation, it's all pointing to, it's all about Jesus and what he offers us. And so we find him, the one who is better. We remember this is constantly the refrain of the writer, the preacher, the, the one who has written this sermon letter, as many theologians describe it. He is telling the Hebrews who are tempted to turn away from Jesus because they are having an incredibly difficult time. It is not going well for them. And it's not going well for them specifically because they're following Jesus. They're, they're tempted on some level to deconstruct their faith and to turn back to something different. And we're not tempted to turn back to the old sacrificial system. We're not looking for the tabernacle that has the curtains. But we look for other things other than Jesus. And what the writer is telling us here is Jesus is better. And he offers us better access to the Lord that doesn't get any better than this, in fact. That real relationship with Yahweh is offered through Jesus. He is the mediator, verse 15, of the new covenant. We remember he's the mediator. He is the high priest. That's multiple passages that we've looked at already. He is the ultimate high priest. Better in so many ways. We're going to see uh, it coming up very soon that he is the better sacrifice. And that's been alluded to at multiple points. But he is, he is better. And everything else is pointed to him. The high priest is pointed to him. The sacrifice is pointed to him. Uh, everything in the Old Testament has pointed to him. And he comes in order to offer access to the Lord in these deep and beautiful ways. It's better. It's not only external, verse 10, but it is to the depth of who we are. Look at verse 14. This is a great verse even to, to memorize. It, verse 13 says, if if these other sacrifices accomplished anything, and they did, how much more, verse 14, will the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The, the, the depth to which the forgiveness is, is offered, the purification comes, is, is to the full extent. Even to the depth of our conscience, the depth of our soul, the depth of who we are is cleansed. There's incredible hope here. There's, there's no place for, for shame. He, he reaches into who we are and he says that he cares about us and he forgives us in all the depth of our brokenness and sin. And so we can have incredible confidence before him. And, and sometimes that takes, we, we need to be reminded of that, right? We still struggle with the shame. We still struggle with thinking poorly of ourselves or thinking too highly of ourselves, thinking that we have accomplished it. But if it's his work, if he's the only one who's able to reach in and cleanse us, we think about that picture of radiation, nothing we can do about cleaning radiation of ourselves if we've been exposed. Jesus is the one who is able to deal with it completely, to cleanse us completely. And he does that to the depth of who we are. It's not only external, it is deeply internal. It covers all of who we are. It's not also, it is not temporary as it was uh, in the Old Testament. We see in verse 24 and 25, this fact that the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, it was temporary. The, the high priest had to go in every year to offer sacrifices for the people. But Jesus did this work that was described in verse 26 as once for all. It was done. This is why we don't have blood up here. It's why we never do. The sacrifice was made through Jesus. His blood took care of it. Jesus took care of it all. His sacrifice, his work as the high priest, all of it was better so that none of it needs to happen again. It is for us eternal. It is the eternal redemption that is offered in verse 12. Once for all, verse 26. So that we don't have to Worry, even our tendency often as Christians is to think, oh, he forgave me, but now I need to kind of earn his love and favor. That's a missing, of missing the point of this eternal redemption. No, it's all covered from the time that we become a Christian and, and for the rest of our lives. We're not constantly trying to earn his favor. That's a complete misunderstanding of the gospel of the work that Jesus did as our mediator, as the high priest, as the sacrifice, as the one who loves us deeply and eternally. It is done once for all. We can have access to him. The third thing that we see is that not only is it more than external, not only is it more than temporary, it is also this picture of full access that, we, that they didn't have in the Old Testament, that, that waiting outside, right? And only even making it into the tent of meeting. If you weren't the high priest, you never made it into the Holy of Holies where the ark was. But what we find now, the ark representing the presence of God, is that Jesus, who stands in the presence of God now, verse 24, stands before the face of God. Now he gives us, the ones who are united to him, full access to the presence of God. There are, uh, I have learned, some uh, Taylor Swift fans in, uh, in the church. Um, and I've heard that there's some people who actually got tickets to Taylor Swift concerts. Uh, I, I think it's probably uh, Larry was first in line for that. Um, and uh, if you don't know Larry, he's a huge, huge Taylor Swift fan. Um, 
that there was actually a pretty significant barrier to getting tickets to Taylor Swift concerts. I wasn't looking for them, but I saw all over the news the barriers just to get tickets to go to a stadium and watch Taylor Swift. There would be another significant barrier to getting backstage passes. And I imagine that there might be some people interested in backstage passes, I don't have any, uh, to a Taylor Swift concert, right? There'd be a whole nother barrier on top of that to actually like sitting down for coffee with Taylor Swift, right? And yet another more significant barrier to being her friend, to actually having a relationship with her, right? And uh, there are a lot of barriers between all of us and Taylor Swift. Some of us, actually Larry, are probably fine with that. Uh, but some of us would love to actually be in relationship with her, right? What we have here, and she's this big star, and uh, you know, people admire her and all those things. What we have here is the creator of the universe, Yahweh, the one who has given us life and sustains life, who is responsible for this, this, this world in which we live. He is offering us full and complete access to him. Not just the opportunity to come into the tent of meeting and worship, but to be in relationship, deep relationship, that he says he cares deeply about us, each and every one of us, he cares about us as a part of the people of God, that he offers us that sacrifice. There's no longer these curtains of barriers. In Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51, Jesus has died on the cross. He is dying. He's, he cries out with a loud voice, and he gives up his spirit, and the curtain is ripped in two. The curtain that divides the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, ripped in two. That access is now granted, full access to the Lord. That's what we're, that's what we're given. What, what does that look like? What does it look like for us to have access to him? Sometimes we can't fathom that. And, and it's pretty simple. And if you've been in the church, then you know these pretty simple things. His, his word that speaks to us, him revealing himself to us. Prayer that we're able to speak to him and lay out our hearts before him, bringing our requests and our needs before him, recognizing that we are dependent upon him. He's given us one another, the body of Christ. He's given us opportunity to be in relationship with him. We have that kind of access. And sometimes we think about reading the Bible or praying. We might experience those as like checklists or, or these things that we're supposed to do. Maybe some of us have been in those experiences where, you know, if you really follow Jesus, then you're going to do your quiet time and you're going to check it off the list and it becomes legalism. But what we see here is that these are what we call a means of grace. They're the ways that we experience him. It is, they are blessings to us. It's not something that we do in order for him to love us. He loves us, and so we're invited into his presence. We're invited to experience these means of grace that are relationship with him. This is beautiful opportunity to experience that access that he offers. And now, at this moment, at this point in the new covenant, at this point and the systems which he has given us in order that we might have access to him, we're waiting. Verse 28. So that Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with the sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. There was a picture on the Day of Atonement where everybody is outside the tabernacle. They're, they're waiting for the priest to do the work, anticipating. He actually has 
bells on his, his robes so they can hear him doing the work of offering the sacrifices, but they're waiting for it to be successful, that, that he did it correctly so that he's not struck down, so that he would come out and they would be able to then come into the tent of meeting. And we now stand waiting for him to return to, to allow us even further into his presence where we will ourselves stand in his physical presence. We, we now have his spiritual presence, but there's the promise of his physical presence, this ultimate, the final salvation. There's a sense in which we've experienced salvation already, but there's a salvation yet to come. And this is where, where we find the picture of Revelation 21, the new heavens and the new earth, the new heavens come to the earth, new heavens, new earth. And God says, I will be with them as their God and they will be my people. This picture of walking with him and there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more death. For the former things have passed away. That is what we're waiting for now. That's what verse 28 points to. But even now, we have access to him in a spiritual way where we can hear his word, where we can pray, where we can know him, where he can know us and love us, and we can be embraced by him. This is incredible access to the creator of the universe. This is what is on offer because of what he has done in his role as the high priest as the ultimate sacrifice, so that we could have this eternal relationship with him. Let's pray.